Welcome to the EMSO Talks podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of EMSO Talks. My name is Ivailo Vasilinov. I'm chief strategist here at EMSO, and I'm joined today by my esteemed colleague and good friend Ben Serrano, who is one of our senior portfolio managers. In the first part of our conversation, Ben and I will discuss our thoughts on the economic and political outlook for selected countries within CIMEA as we head into what is likely to be a very interesting 2023. We will then follow up in the second part with a discussion on selected countries in EM Asia and cover our views on the associated market implications under our baseline scenario. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you with us. Thank you very much. It's uh, great to be here. Now, 2022 has been a tough year to say the least. If you look at some of the returns within the asset class, uh, clearly it has been a very difficult year unless you were a short seller. Um, the latest numbers uh, for currency credit, for example, uh, show that uh, you know, the MB Global diversified returns were minus 17% uh, year to date. Uh, and if you look at local markets, uh, GBI EM Global diversified returns were minus 13%. So a very, very difficult year. Um, I think 2023 is likely to offer a number of opportunities, uh, perhaps increased differentiation. Um, and uh, we can delve into the details uh, in a moment. But I think before we do that, uh, it's probably worth uh, having a quick mention of what our baseline envisages for the external environment, which uh, EM countries are likely to face uh, next year. Um, I think we're at a fascinating stage of the global economic cycle here. Uh, in fact, last week I had one of these uh, amusing moments in the office um, when you, Ben, had just come back from a meeting with one of our prominent brokers uh, and you were summarizing their views, describing how their baseline now projects 150 basis points of interest rate cuts from the US Fed next year. And in that very same moment, as you were uh, explaining uh, their outlook, I had another broker uh, in my ear going through their own uh, version of the 2023 outlook, describing how they think the market is actually underpricing the Fed rate hike path for next year. And those were essentially two polar opposite views being presented at the same time. Um, and the fact of the matter is that right now, uh, you can actually find um, plenty of uh, evidence in the data to back uh, either one of these uh, essentially opposing arguments. Uh, in any case, our own baseline um, and the risks around it uh, have already been laid out by colleagues uh, Patrick and Jens, who are our global head of research and deputy CIO, uh, respectively, uh, who provided a detailed video update uh, earlier, um, which I would encourage all of our listeners to seek out uh, if they haven't done so already. But for the purposes of this discussion, I would highlight perhaps uh, three main themes for that update. So first and foremost, uh, going to 2023, uh, we believe that the coordinated monetary policy tightening cycle that we observed in uh, 2022 uh, is set to give way to much greater differentiation. And that goes uh, for both uh, G10 and also emerging markets. Within the G10 space, of course, we have very different forces buffeting the economies of the US and the Eurozone uh, at the moment. The latter going through a very difficult energy crisis, which is much less of a consideration uh, in the case of the US. Uh, then, if, of course, you have the case of Japan, uh, which is an altogether different story uh, and also an outlier when it comes to monetary policy. Um, and other uh, sub-segments uh, of the G10 space are also uh, facing their own, mm -hmm. own idiosyncratic uh, macro-shocks. Uh, within EM, uh, there's plenty of dispersion as well. Uh, we've had um, the so-called early starters when it comes to monetary policy tightening. Uh, they are seemingly on the same path in terms of reaching a peak in the monetary policy tightening cycles, uh, but of course uh, facing very difficult, very different uh, domestic demand conditions. You have uh, Latin America where inflation is generally expected to moderate. Uh, for example, you know Brazil uh, versus, for example, Central European economies where output gaps and labor markets remain much tighter. 
So point number one from our gl global outlook for next year is that uh, much greater differentiation when it comes to uh, monetary policy uh, for 2023. Point number two, we think um, uh, Fed funds uh, rates are likely to peak at uh, around five and a quarter uh, percent sometime in the first quarter of uh, 2023. Uh, we have seen some encouraging signs when it comes to US inflation. Uh, supply bottlenecks uh, have been largely resolved. Inventories are bloated, demand is cooling. All of this should lead to uh, core goods disinflation. Uh, at the same time, of course, there are question marks about uh, services inflation. Uh, will we see some uh, upward pressures on that front as consumption begins to rotate? Uh, but overall, we think that uh, the Fed is likely to reach the peak of the cycle relatively soon. Then the question, of course, is how long are they going to stay uh, at a tight level? And we think perhaps the market is uh, underpricing that particular risk. Um, number three, in terms of the uh, outlook for next year, uh, we do think that uh, when it comes to asset prices, uh, U.S. yields in particular uh, sort of uh, further out the curve, you know, the 10-year yield we think has already peaked, uh, not only because we are likely to be approaching the end of the tightening cycle, as I just mentioned, but perhaps also more importantly because the probability of a soft landing seems to be very low. Um, the starting position for the Fed is, uh, is very difficult. Uh, we've never had a case uh, where labor markets have been so tight, uh, unemployment has been uh, so far below narrow, and inflation has been so high above target, uh, where the Fed has tried to, to uh, engineer soft landing and succeeded. Uh, more often than not, uh, in fact, every single time thus far, uh, this seems to lead to, to some form of recession. So uh, we do expect to see further inversion of the curve and, and uh, you know, perhaps 10 years, years should be lower from here. So that's, that's going to be something the market has to digest and think about. Uh, but on the other hand, when it comes to the FX outlook, um, we do think that um, the peak in the dollar is not quite there yet. Uh, we think that uh, that is only likely to peak when global growth expectations trough, uh, most likely perhaps sometime in the second quarter of, uh, of 2023, which of course gives us a little bit of a period between now and then for emerging markets to, to uh, sort of try and uh, wrestle with this uh, conflicting outlook uh, for, for the dollar and what this implies for uh, EMFX. But uh, bearing this in mind, and you know, if, if we take this as our baseline for 2023, uh, how do you think about the implications for emerging markets on your side, Ben? So I think that it's, um, as, as you say, firstly, there's going to be a, a lot of differentiation. Um, but, uh, but that said, the, the overwhelming um, macro trends are really going to drive, uh, drive the entirety of the, of, of the complex. And so thinking of 2023 as kind of just one one entity or, or, or one period is uh, is going to be um, going to make it very difficult to trade and, and manage risk through that period. So uh, overwhelmingly, analysts generally believe uh, inflation is going to be uh, lower by the end of next year than it is in the end of this year. But it doesn't necessarily uh, translate for e the EM space that, that the rates complexes uh, are going to uh, are going to follow. From a macro perspective, when I think of 2023, I, I split it into uh, three distinct phases. Uh, I think the first one uh, we're living through uh, right now, and that's uh, general optimism that the uh, the Fed are going to be able to engineer a soft landing. Um, we've seen uh, recent inflationary data uh, come a little lower. Um, uh, we're, we're actually uh, recording this now before the uh, the CPI print, but um, you know, we expect tomorrow's CPI print also to uh, continue that trend. Um, and uh, that's going to embolden, uh, I think, the view that, uh, that the Fed are, uh, are, are doing a pretty good job of managing um, 
of, of managing monetary policy to engineer a softer landing. I think the second uh, phase uh, will be when we have actually realization that they're unable to do so. Uh, as you said previously, I mean, we've had very few examples of being able to uh, to hit the landing zone. Um, previous uh, tightening cycles have generated a much larger uh, increase in unemployment than the Fed uh, currently anticipates in the uh, in their in in their latest uh, SEP. Uh, of uh, with un- unemployment only getting up to around uh, four four and a half percent, which is uh, barely one percent above. Uh, the lows that we've seen. And then once uh, we've gone through that realization that uh, that the soft landing is going to be uh, a, a difficult uh, a difficult scenario to achieve, then potentially we're going to start more aggressively pricing in the uh, a US recession uh, that uh, that could hit at uh, some point in Q2 or Q3 of next year. Uh, and, and that is the phase that I think starts to generate the real um, the, the real rate rally. Uh, that you were uh, that that you were describing uh, as per our forecasts. Thank you, Ben. I think uh, I fully agree with you in terms of uh, the outlook being uh, very differentiated, and you, you cannot just think of twenty twenty three as as one uh, consistent period. I think we'll go through through ups and downs. Um, I do expect to see a much greater greater differentiation when it comes to domestic fundamentals, uh, and there are a number of idiosyncratic factors that I think will be increasingly important when it comes to uh, investors differentiating between the so called good and bad stories within EM. I think if we if we sort of dive into the Simia region, for example, uh, we have, you know, some stories that uh, sound relatively encouraging, others that uh, seem to be uh, quite concerning when it comes to both uh, macro and politics. Um, you know, key idiosyncratic factors in 2023 are likely to be, for example, general elections. We have a couple of important ones coming up next year. Uh, one would be in Turkey. Uh, which uh, a number of investors have fo- focused on very closely. Um, and in, in their view, uh, this could be the most important uh, general election in Turkey's recent history. Um, officially, the election is supposed to be held by uh, June 2023. We may see that date being brought forward somewhat. Uh, but ultimately, by the end of the uh, sort of second quarter of next year, we should have uh, that election take place. Um, and already we're seeing that uh, everything the government is doing in Turkey uh, is basically subject to uh, to the upcoming election and it's being driven by election-related uh, considerations. Um, and I think uh, the most uh, important uh, risk from, from this approach uh, has clearly been uh, when it comes to pressure on both monetary and fiscal policies in Turkey. Uh, we're seeing the central bank essentially abandoning inflation targeting um, uh, many listeners will know that uh, Turkish inflation sort of uh, spiked to uh, above 85% year on year earlier this year. Uh, and uh, uh, a lot of the government's forecasts uh, seem to be overly optimistic, even when it comes to the short term uh, decline and deceleration in some of these uh, huge numbers, uh, which will be purely uh, due to base effects. But ultimately, even more importantly, over the medium term, uh, it looks extremely unlikely it will moderate to anywhere near the official target for inflation, which is uh, under 25%, actually 24.9% for next year, uh, which seems to be highly unrealistic. In an environment where the Turkish Central Bank was the only one in the world, uh, it was uh, cutting rates up until very recently uh, in the face of uh, exploding inflation. So uh, that's a form of pressure that we've seen on policy that uh, is unlikely to go away. 
um, and it's uh, very clearly being driven by election considerations. Um, and that's something that investors will have to take into account, of course. Uh, when it comes to uh, fiscal policy as well, we're seeing erosion of some of these traditional fiscal buffers that Turkey has always enjoyed. Uh, public debt ratios have been uh, very low and stable for, for many years, and they're coming from a, a sort of solid st- starting point. Uh, but that erosion is, is real, it's there, and uh, you know, fiscal pump priming uh, is very much uh, uh, increasing. Uh, we're seeing uh, various promises being made by the administration. We're uh, awaiting to see uh, perhaps, you know, uh, uh, in excess of 100% uh, increase in minimum wages at the beginning of next year. So all of these uh, factors, I think, will play a, a huge role in, in, in driving investor sentiment as we head into these elections. And ultimately, there's also a little bit of a dilemma for the market because um, the more the uh, expected economic crisis in Turkey is being postponed uh, due to various uh, external uh, support uh, channels, uh, in particular, you know, some uh, balance of payments uh, help that we've seen through uh, flows from uh, capital flows from Russia and from from GIC countries. Uh, The more the economic uh, situation is stabilized in the short term, the greater uh, the risk that uh, or the the greater the likelihood that uh, we'll see uh, the incumbent uh, administration led by President Erdogan win the elections, which in turn would reduce the the chances of uh, structural reforms uh, after next summer. So um, I think that's a very difficult, challenging um, outlook for the market to sort of wrestle with. uh, And we'll have to pay very close attention to the polls uh, in the run up to uh, the next uh, election. Um, similar sort of parallels, I just want to draw a, a little bit of a contrast with uh, with the story uh, in Poland, where also uh, there is an election coming up next year. Uh, that one is due to be held by uh, the autumn of 2023 for both the lower house and the Senate. Um, there, the, the race is also close. Um, we do have support for the ruling um, party uh, dropping over the course of the last two years by, by as much as 20, uh, 10 percentage points uh, to around 35 percent at present. Um, the party is still ahead of the opposition, but the latter has actually been gaining over the past year, uh, with support levels sort of rising by around five to seven percentage points to be around sort of 28, even 30 percent at the moment. So the race is tightening. Um, and why is that important? Well, um, we are seeing another big fiscal drive here. So similar to Turkey, the government is trying to uh, maximize uh, its chances of, uh, of securing a win at the election by uh opening up the tap when it comes to fiscal support uh, measures. If you take into account uh, everything that's been promised, uh, it adds up to as much as 4% of GDP, uh, which is, of course, a a huge uh, fiscal stimulus. There will be some offsetting measures, but ultimately this impulse is coming through uh, probably at exactly the wrong time uh, when you think about uh, what's happening to inflation, which, of course, has been very, very high, yet to show a peak. Um, and if anything, actually uh, deteriorating and, and, and underperforming when it comes to the central bank's uh, official views. Uh, somewhat disappointingly, the central bank in Poland has actually given up on meeting its target over the forecast horizon. So the earliest they've sort of suggested, they're conceding now uh, that the target won't be met until perhaps as late as 2025. Um, and that could be a risk for uh, investor expectations Um could be uh, a risk for the credibility of monetary policy, especially in the current context of uh, there being a very strong reluctance to actually try and address uh, some of these inflation risks through um, interest rate hikes. Uh, the focus from the central bank has been very much on slowing domestic activity uh, and the uh, deteriorating growth outlook for 2023. Uh, and that is, of course, clearly a consideration, but um, it's worth highlighting that it's not an official mandate of the central bank. The uh, man- mandate is purely price stability, and the central bank is very clearly failing on that front and is likely to continue to fail for the foreseeable future. So I think uh, how the governments uh, in, in, in this region, and in particular in the cases of Turkey and Poland, handle uh, these challenges around still very high inflation, 
uh, around uh, some of these uh, very elevated uh, budget deficit numbers going to next year will be a huge determinant to how the market trades these stories. Um, from your perspective, Ben, how do you think uh, one should position uh, ahead of uh, the elections coming up in these two countries? So I, I think the um, I think the the way to uh, position uh, in in Poland next year is is perhaps uh, a little easier than uh, than in Turkey. So I'll come back to that in one second. So, so Turkey is is really is really challenging because I think there are a lot of counterintuitive outcomes uh, that can come from from, from the election. So uh, on, on the unambiguous side, I think the outlook for for credit uh, is clearly very positive in the event that Erdogan uh, doesn't uh, secure a, a, another term uh, and that the opposition win. I think that. Um, the uh, credit part of the complex will do extremely well. I think it's been very uh, heavily underinvested in. I think there's over recent years, as the policy mix has become more heterodox, um, there has been a general uh, movement away uh, from Turkish credit. It's uh, it's waiting when in the indices has declined, uh, and as such, um, real money positioning has has, has also declined. Uh, so I think that. You know, if we get a, a positive, I, I say a positive. If we get uh, an opposition out, outcome um, from the uh, from the forthcoming election, then I think there's going to be an absolute rush into uh, into into credit. So right here, right now, uh, we've already seen uh, Turkey credit do fairly well, actually, over the last uh, four to uh, four to eight weeks. So I'm not sure there's much to do there. But in the event that uh, that we have a bumpier uh, road in, in in Q1, perhaps there will be price points that uh, that Turkish credit look uh, look relatively attractive. I mean, put more simply, when you start to see the longer de- the longer duration dollar bonds trade at or around the 60, uh, 60 price point, that's uh, got a very large implied probability of default within it, and that's probably um, not appropriate, regardless of, uh, of of who wins the election. Uh, on the local side, I think it's uh, it's a lot more challenging. Again, there's been a general exodus from the local market. Um, it's been difficult to transact. There have been periods of time where the currency has become uh, very extremely illiquid, where there's been no liquidity at all in the forward markets or in the forward points, making it very difficult to maintain uh, and, and roll positions. And as a, as a result, you've just seen uh, investors uh, remove themselves from the market. That said, I, if if the opposition were to win, it wouldn't be so obvious that the local markets would do extremely well. Uh, as you said, right, Turkey's been one place that's been cutting rates quite against um, the uh, quite quite against the movement that we've seen in inflation. So you know, for for very high double digit inflation, right, we've seen uh, interest rates get back into uh, single digits, which seems totally ridiculous. So if the opposition were to win, and if you were to get more normalcy. Uh, within the uh, within the central bank, then you could actually see a very large increase in uh, in domestic rates, which um, w- w- which would not be a great outcome for uh, for local bondholders. So the the currency will probably do well, although I think that would be quite short lived, and you would start to see um, some currency uh, depreciation take hold as well. So uh, I think for on on Turkey, it's going to be a very large range of uh, of possible outcomes. Um, Actually, take that back. It's not a large range of outcomes. That the spread between the two outcomes is enormous. So if 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 Erdogan wins, then I think we see uh, Turkey credit um, retest uh, retest the lows, and uh, and and if he were to lose, then there would be an enormous rally. But on the local side, it, it wouldn't wouldn't obviously be the uh, be the same outcome. Um, 
Poland, Poland's pretty interesting. So you said in your introduction, it's been an easy year for, for, for guys on the short side or on the paid side. Actually, that's not entirely true because if you, Poland's certainly uh, gone a lot higher in, in yield. Uh, that's absolutely true. But there have been two uh, distinct phases where you've seen very aggressive rallies, even in uh, even in Polish rates uh, earlier in the summer. And, and again, most recently, uh, since the beginning of, uh, of November, triggered actually uh, by a very low inflation print, uh, actually in, in, in Czech. Um, and so uh, it, it's not been uh, plain sailing for, uh, for, for the paid side of the equation. But I think uh, as we go into next year, it's uh, it's pretty interesting, right? Because there have been a lot of measures put into place to try and contain inflation. Even with those measures in, in place, uh, Polish inflation uh, has been uh, e- extremely high. Um, you know, well above uh, well above target, uh, and which <laughs> for, for, for just for sake of information is two and a half percent. Um, and, uh, and and likely to remain high uh, well into next year. And actually, we may not have seen uh, the, the peak in Turkish inflation. Uh, sorry, in Polish inflation, that might come uh, in in Q1 of next year. So, the what makes it difficult for for payers of rates is just the intransigence of the central bank. Uh, although I do think that as we um, move uh, through next year, uh, we see more fiscal expansion um, ahead of the elections. Uh, we see um, market pressure that uh, that won't be able to be maintained um, beyond uh, beyond the elections, and also that the measures that have been put in place uh, as as the fiscal as the uh, inflation shield, which obviously are also fiscal measures, uh, potentially also going to have to start to, uh, to to roll off. Then I think the uh, the trajectory for, for for Polish inflation is not quite as obvious as it is in other places. In general, most people believe that it's going to come. Uh, lower by the end of uh, 2023 vis-a-vis 2022. Uh, and, and that seems pretty reasonable given that we're going to get uh, up to, as I said, close to a 20% uh, inflation point, right? But it's not really um, it's not really a done deal that's going to get uh, get itself back into single digits. So I think that with rate cuts already priced uh, for Poland, that uh, there are going to be opportunities uh, and that opportunity may be building right here, right now, uh, as, a, as, as a pre-positioning for 2023 to, uh, to, to re-enter the pay trade. And, uh, and we, we could see uh, yields uh, retest um, uh, at higher levels. So I think uh, on, on Turkey, we want to be quite tactical. I don't really think that there's an opportunity to uh, have a structural position given the, uh, the wide margin between uh, being right and being wrong. Uh, in, in Poland, on the other hand, uh, I think that there's a lot more certainty that we're going to see uh, high yields uh, once again. Um, against that, you know, uh, it's it's good to find somewhere where we can be a little bit more constructive. Um, and you know, I quite like uh, South Africa. Uh, I, I appreciate that it's a relatively uh, consensus view. Um, we've seen uh, many investors concentrate into South Africa because Russia's become unavailable, Turkey, as I said, has become unavailable. Central and Eastern Europe has, uh, has generally been on a, on a widening path. And the only place really that I see in our whole space that's anywhere close to its inflation target and likely to be within its inflation target uh, by the end of next year uh, is South Africa. And that's not really reflected by the, um, by the interest rate curve. So I think that uh, being received in South Africa uh, still has got a, a, a lot of merit. 
uh, and certainly against um, paid positions in Poland. Uh, I think that's got uh, some quite interesting uh, properties, at least to carry, you know, n not entirely as a structural position through uh, th through most of next year, but certainly as a position to take into 2023. Uh, I think that that can pay some dividends. But, you know, South Africa is not without its shocks. And al already at the start of uh, December, you know, we had uh, quite an alarming situation where, you know, it went from uh, a fairly stable uh, environment to looking as if we were going to have a presidential resignation uh, w within the space of 24 or 48 hours. Um, that seems to have calmed down a little bit now. But, uh, but Avila, do you have uh, any insights into what we might expect uh, as, uh, as, as this saga runs on in South Africa? Absolutely. I mean, look, I fully agree with you in terms of, uh, you know, the environment at the moment being very sort of topsy-turvy and um, it's not been easy for uh, either those on the long or the short side. Uh, and as you mentioned, in South Africa, actually, the, the real threat to, to, to the long position uh, can come from, from the politics. I think the, the macro story is relatively straightforward. You know, we had a, a quick rebound after the, uh, the pandemic. So growth was real GDP growth was, you know, 4.9% uh, back in 2021. Uh, but this year we're back below 2%. Uh, and then uh, basically potential when you look at the medium term outlook is uh, somewhere in the range of one to two percent, but very weak still by, by international standards. Uh, very weak also when it comes to uh, the outlook for debt sustainability. You know, it's not a comfortable outlook. Um, so from that point of view, the central bank, as you mentioned uh, yourself, Ben, um, is, has done a good job in terms of staying on top of inflation. Inflation seemed to peak already uh, back in July in the summer. And we've had three consecutive months in counting of uh, deceleration. When it comes to headline inflation, uh, core inflation is within uh, the target range. Um, expectations are relatively well anchored. All of that, I think, is very supportive of, of the receiver trade, as you mentioned. Uh, uh, on top of that, of course, we've actually had most recently uh, some good news when it comes to terms of trade. You know, they were up uh, around 6% uh, since the start, start of November um, because of uh, lower oil prices and some recovering metals prices. All of this is, is very supportive. Uh, and, and I would also add the sort of fiscal policy has been very prudent, very credible. Uh, the primary consolidated budget balances on course to swing into a surplus perhaps as early as next year so these are all sort of uh, plus points but the politics as you say uh, is is a major risk um, and i think you know short term uh, the outlook as you say has been uh, one of uh, sort of stabilizing uh, the crisis so uh, our central expectation is that uh, the incumbent president uh, Cyril Ramaphosa will uh, see off some of these challenges that have emerged uh, most recently will run and win uh, uh, secure, a secure victory at the um, general elective conference of the party later this month uh, and will be re-elected as the ANC's president uh, uh, after after this event uh, but um, if you if you look at uh, what's likely to be in store for him in 2023 and beyond, uh, you know this issue is is not gone away. Uh, he is going to be challenged. Uh, there is a, the outside uh, risk of. Uh, adverse uh, rulings coming his way at any moment in time, either from the National Prosecution Authority or uh, or from the SARB. Uh, so there are other investigations that uh, we still have to hear from in terms of their conclusions. Uh, and more importantly, perhaps, uh, he seems to have been weakened. You know, his credibility has been tainted. Um, and I think uh, that also impacts the outlook for structural reforms in South Africa. So uh, with that in mind, I would expect uh, to see, you know, the front end of the curve in South Africa being uh, very much dictated by the macro outlook that I outlined, so relatively supportive, uh, but perhaps you know we we should be expecting to see a somewhat permanently higher risk premium in the long end of the curve, reflecting you know the uh, diminished outlook for structural reforms and perhaps the uh, diminished uh, hope for uh, somewhat higher potential growth outlook uh, over the medium to long term. 
Of course, as always with South Africa, much will depend on the external environment and the outlook for commodity prices, which in turn tend to be heavily influenced by developments in China. So please join us for the second part of our conversation, in which we will turn focus onto China and other selected stories within EM Asia.